0: If you don't do anything and you just sit around in this like intellectual circle jerk and talk about who's the purest and who's not the purest, we're never going to advance anything and that's one of the biggest problems I think the liberty movement has going forward.
1: Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here's your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. Welcome back, my Liberty Lotharios. To the Lions of Liberty podcast, your home for great conversations about the ideas of liberty, this is the 217th episode of this program, and you can find today's show notes featuring links to everything we discuss over at lionsofliberty.com 217. Today's show is sponsored by Health Excellence Select. If you are fed up with dealing with your Obamacare mandates and your health insurance, I implore you, my friends, to look into Health Excellence Select. You can do so by heading over to lionsofliberty.com slash health. My guest today is the founder and editor-in-chief of the Liberty Conservative. He recently interviewed me for Liberty Conservative, and he now joins me here to get the Lions of Liberty treatment. He is Mr. Gavin Wax. Gavin, are you ready to roar? Roar! Man, like that might be a top five roar th- that oh, I've awesome. gotten in the past. Yeah, maybe perfect. maybe you've been doing the roar thing for 20 or 30 episodes. That's up there.
0: Just need to drink a glass of water now.
1: Yeah, we're off to a good start. You might need more yes. than water after that one. You might <laughs> yes, need some honey, man. some tea.
0: A whole chamomile treatment.
1: So, Gavin, yeah, as I mentioned, we've talked a bit recently. You did interview me uh, for the Liberty Conservative, had a great chat. We found out we have uh, quite a bit in common, actually. And uh, But what I want to know about you now, which we didn't really get into too much, is how you first became interested in the ideas of Liberty. What got the ball rolling for you thinking about all this stuff?
0: Uh, yeah, I'm not really unique. I'm kind of boring. I'm kind of like a Ron Paul uh, generation type of guy. He kind of got me inspired with his first run, and then it kind of grew from there. How generic? No, I'm just kidding. A lot of YouTube videos, a lot of reading.
1: Yeah. What was your perspective before coming into Ron Paul? Were you did you think
0: much about politics during that time? I mean, oh were- uh, yeah, it's weird. I used to be kind of like a socialist a bit, and then before Ooh. then, I was uh, kind of like a run of the mill conservative because that's what my family was. So I kind of jumped a bit around, but. Now it's since maybe 08, it's been pretty much uh, liberty and libertarian ideas from then on.
1: I kind of grew up in a conservative household, I guess I may be like what you might call a traditional Republican household. But you were actually, I guess, had sort of socialist beliefs before that. Was that sort of like a rejection of the household you were being raised in, uh, you know, for a brief time?
0: Uh, yeah, I guess it was kind of like, you know, I was always interested in politics from an early age. And I guess anyone who is, you know, when they're young and stupid and don't actually have a job or anything, they always kind of tend to drift towards the uh, age old fallacies of socialism. And I was no different in that regard. Sure. Why wouldn't
1: you want free health care? Why wouldn't of course, you want free education? Of course. Sounds fantastic.
0: And this was kind of like during, you know, the early Bush days, you know, when it was cool and, and it was becoming, you know, cool to become left wing and, and going against the current. Uh, it didn't last very long. So I'm thankful for that. And since then, you know, I've learned the the righteous path, and I've been on it ever since. (laughs) I I don't think it was a rejection of my parents, though, in any sense.
1: Right, right. I mean, maybe subtly, I don't know. I think there is a desire when you're younger, more so, to just... Sort of reject what you're being told in some ways, whether it's from your parents or from your teachers. I mean, but for me, though, I mean, I, just the fact that my dad was into politics at all. I mean, I used to listen to talk radio when he was in the car. So, I mean, just I mean, I, maybe some people's parents just have more interest in politics. So that kind of gets the ball rolling for us earlier, whereas I'm sure there are you know households where there's just no interest or thought put into it whatsoever.
0: No, that's true. My mom is probably a political, more conservative leaning, and my dad's probably like an old school kind of socialist commie kind of guy. He's like Italian, so I don't know. It's kind of weird, but mixed there. Any relation to that Mussolini guy, right? Oh, God, no, no, no. <laughs> Big history there.
1: <laughs> and then Ron Paul, just like he did for me, I mean, I was actually reading Ron Paul well before he ran for president and was sort of blown away when I found out this guy was running for president, but he did inspire me to uh, further my study, I guess you might say, and really become more active, not only politically and not only to be more outspoken, but actually, you know, think more philosophically and think about things in terms of individual rights, which was just not the way we're told to think about politics. It's We're more told to think about wait this team good that team bad and and uh we're not really sure the reasons there's a number of them but just trust me one's good and one's bad
0: exactly and i remember you know i remember reading some of his book suggestions and going the first time to like well not the first time to barnes and nobles but the first time to barnes and nobles on a mission and just bought all his books bought a few books from uh, milton friedman who was probably the first economist to like got more into the austrian view of thought and i just went up to the counter and i got this weird uh purple haired uh kind of Left-leaning-looking person uh, checking me out, probably giving me some weird stares. Went home, read through them over the course of a few weeks, and uh, since then it's just been uh, you know getting into the philosophy, as you said, you know different view that the mainstream media provides, just kind of like you know Republicans stupid and dumb, and and Democrats good and righteous, and then you know there's no other viewpoints, there's no other thought. It's just kind of like this stupid binary system. So it kind of uh, you know once you open your mind, you could read some of the literature out there. We have a great plethora of literature on our side. It's, it really opens your mind.
1: And it really is step one, uh, it seems to me, to sort of get people out of that left-right thinking, because that seems to be the biggest challenge. I mean, it was – I didn't really start thinking differently until Ron Paul kind of shook me awake in the sense that when I would read his articles, even in the early 2000s, but again, before he was a presidential candidate, what stood out to me was how he would criticize Republicans – criticize Democrats. He would equally attack both sides, because even though he was a Republican, which you just never saw. You never saw Republicans attacking Republicans. You know, that's Ronald Reagan or whatever is his, like, 11th commandment, never insult the Republican. But Ron Paul certainly didn't care about that one at all. He cared about principle and on viewing things through individual rights, which is just that it really is a, a unique way of looking at politics, but it's so difficult to get people to, to snap out of that. I mean, how do you do that? Do you have any techniques that have worked for you to even not even get people to think about the ideas of liberty per se, but just to even snap out of this, like this false dichotomy. Exactly. This false dichotomy.
0: Yeah, it's definitely difficult. People have like this simplistic viewing of the political spectrum you know, mostly just the public education system kind of, you know, entrenching this and then the media even further enforcing it. You know, it's just these two sides of the coin. There can't be a different line of thought. I think the best way to do it is just to elaborate, you know, the philosophy. There's a lot of people, you know, they might be political, but they're so thin in their underlining philosophy and the reasoning behind it because they just don't understand, you know, the the, the underlining concepts, property rights, uh, natural rights, these core concepts of classical liberalism. It's just kind of, it's just not there for them. But, you know, I think With some basic, basic just reading into the subject and some solid people to to articulate it on the national stage, someone like a Ron Paul, that really, really can change hearts and minds. And we've definitely seen that. I mean, the movement has exploded in growth from, you know, basically a few people scattered to a solid politically relevant movement today.
1: So how did the idea for the Liberty Conservative come about? Because you got Liberty in there, but you've decided to sort of also in a way associate with the conservative side. So how did this whole concept come together?
0: So we originally started as more of like an online forum. Uh, We were kind of pushing back during, I believe, the 2014 midterms, uh, a bunch of Liberty-minded candidates, as well as the Rand Paul presidential run. We kind of broke off from the Rand Paul forums. But, you know, The whole concept of like an online forum seems to be kind of a dying medium and it's very hard to start. And we started shifting more towards a blog and then as we got bigger, we got more content. It began to shift more towards a magazine-style online publication presenting commentary. But as far as the name, the name choice, conservative, I mean we definitely – believe in a big camp movement. We believe in the political process. We believe in advancing the ideas of libertarianism, uh, classical liberalism through the GOP, through conservative circles. And we kind of adhere to Ron Paul's view of the old right. The traditional beliefs of the conservative movement was not this neoconservative establishment style that's taken over the party and the beltway, but this small government, constitutionalism, individual, and economic freedom We're pushing that. And with the name The Liberty Conservative, it it enables us to reach a broader audience than an exclusively, let's say, libertarian title might have. So we've been able to interview a whole wide range of different representatives and and have a readership that crosses the political spectrum a bit. So it it helps from a marketing perspective and I guess it also helps preach our message, which is you know a a broad liberty camp.
1: In a way, it it does make a lot of sense because if you look at just the base rhetoric, at least, of a lot of conservative politicians – I mean, the rhetoric isn't necessarily, if at least if you remove you know, stuff about the war on drugs or being against gay marriage and that kind of thing, if you take that away, the, the base rhetoric, they talk about personal freedom, they talk about economic freedom, their actions don't usually line up with that. And that, that's where the liberty part needs to come in. But it certainly makes sense to uh, at least kind of take people that are inclined to agree with that rhetoric and then show them, OK, but these guys aren't doing that at all. They're actually standing for the opposite of it. And here's why you got to think more on the liberty line of things. But is there any concern or have Have you gotten any pushback, I guess? Like, is there a concern that it will prevent you guys from effectively reaching out to a progressive side of things? You know, people that have that viewpoint that still might be able to come into liberty beliefs but might really be turned off by that word conservative, like a trigger word for them.
0: Well, we have a few writers that are definitely left libertarian. Uh, You know, They're much more into the social issues. They're much more socially liberal, left uh, social views in terms of their writing and in terms of their beliefs that write for us, that contribute to us and that that read our material. So we haven't had too much from that because I think we've handled it in a good way and they've seen the content we pushed out. We have anarchists who write for us and read for us. I mean – we have heard people you know, attack us and assume that we're some sort of just run-of-the-mill conservative site. But once they get into the depths of it and then they see who we've endorsed, who we support and what we write about, they understand that we're pretty strong in the libertarian scale of things.
1: And What are some of the favorite interviews you've done? I mean, as you said, it's really opened up the doors for you by having that sort of conservative uh, label attached to you. So who are some of the politicians you've interviewed? What are the ones that stand out the most to you?
0: Well, I mean, obviously, our biggest one was probably like a Ted Cruz. You know, he was when he when we interviewed him, he was pretty much at the height of his presidential campaign, coming off a win in Iowa, things look good for him. So that was probably our biggest interview. And I think it was definitely an interesting interview. We had some tough questions for him. And we kind of pressed him on the libertarian liberty minded issues in regards to uh, legal affairs, the judiciary, the economics, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. That interview is one of the ones that I would point out is definitely due to our name. But in addition to that, I've interviewed people like Walter Block, uh, David Friedman, Steve Horowitz, Roger Stone. I even briefly interviewed a Rand Paul. But, you know, we had a lot of intellectual and academic interviews, which is one aspect of it. On the politician end, like our Daniel Hanan interview to get a view into, um, you know, his version of classical liberalism in the U.K. through the conservative party there, we've interviewed people, you know. Various different representatives in the Congress. A Walter Jones was a very interesting interview, his stand against the Iraq war, his kind of shift in his views and policies over the years after he's become more of a closer friend to Iran Paul and shifted more towards the non-interventionist wing of the party. So I think we have a lot of solid interviews we've done, and I'm very proud of that fact.
1: Yeah, you certainly have had a a sort of a broad range of names on there. And, And you mentioned talking to Ted Cruz. Now, Ted has sort of been a sort of a controversial figure among libertarians when Rand Paul dropped out. A lot of libertarians saw Ted Cruz as maybe like a second option or a a least bad of the remaining people anyway. Me personally, I I see a lot of problems with Ted Cruz and we did a whole entire podcast episode sort of breaking down his liberty and non-liberty creds. But what was your overall impression from speaking to him? I mean, do you think he's somebody that libertarians could get behind because there's enough positions there or do you see some flaws in his, I guess, uh, his liberty creds?
0: Well, he's very well read. He's very well versed on the issues across the board. One can make a strong argument that he, uh, like many have said about Rand, has moderated his views in order to become more politically viable, politically palpable. I don't know if that's the right word, but um, able to seize the national uh, headlines, which he has been able to do. And he made a great campaign and he had a great run. As far as my personal views on him, I think you know he's not perfect by any means I'm a core believer, you know, in that politics is not about perfection. It's about, you know, pragmatism. That's what it is at its heart. And I believe, you know, if we're going to advance the cause of liberty and there's an ability to advance, you know, something, you know, even piecemeal or in a current one step at a time then I'm going to support it. Obviously, I'm not going to shy away from my core beliefs. For example, I, I've seen a lot of talk about education, you know. People bring up the concept of vouchers and school choice and charter schools, which I think are great, not as an end goal, but as a step towards that end goal and as a means to advance the cause and improve people's lives significantly. So I'm not the kind of guy who's going to stand back and say, "Okay, well, if it's not full, 100 percent, perfect, pure approach to it, then I'm not going to support it because at the same time, I want to see individuals' lives improved as we advance towards more freedom, both economically and in terms of personal freedom and in terms of advancing the, the political uh, viability of our movement. So someone like a Ted Cruz, while not perfect, and I'm not going to argue that he was, definitely held positions that would have been supportive of the cause of liberty, advancing him somewhat. And, you know, when you compare to the, the rest of the field, I mean, it, it makes his, the case to support him even stronger when you have an authoritarian like Trump or a crook and a socialist like, uh, like Hillary and Bernie.
1: I guess that's the interesting thing about, you know, Trump and Hillary is – Boy, almost everyone looks
0: good next to them, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So he definitely had that going for him, and I, I don't think he shies away from that.
1: It's definitely a, a sort of a tightrope that liberty-minded folks have to walk when they start getting involved in the, uh, the day-to-day era of politics because, you know, I mean, I don't think there's that many Democrat or Republican operatives. Maybe there's some, but for the most part, at least at the higher upper echelons of the party, who have, I don't think they have really strong principles. I think their core principle is Helping the party, helping the Republican Party, helping the Democrat Party. What will make them win? And most of their decisions will be based on that. But libertarians kind of have a challenge because they are – you know, it's supposed to be a party of principle or a group of people with principle. But then when it comes to day to day politics, I mean, there's just no way you pass sweeping legislation that enacts all of liberty, you know, in, in one, right. one fell swoop. So at some point, there have to be compromises in a sense, because you have to make some sort of progress. I mean, here in California, we had Prop 47, which decriminalized most drugs and, and changed a lot of that stuff from felonies to misdemeanors. Now, personally, I think drugs should be completely legal. I don't think anybody should go to jail for This stuff. I don't think anybody should be arrested for this stuff. And that act didn't go all the way. But I think it's better. You know, it's better to have less people in jail, even if you're not letting them all out. It's better to have, you know, less people with a felony on their record for a nonviolent crime. So we do have to make decisions like that at some point if we actually want to see some sort of effective political change. Because at the end of the day, our system only changes when we actually get involved in politics and get
0: people to press levers and
1: get people to, you know, enact legislation. That's just the reality of it.
0: Exactly. And that's a perfect example. And I mean, there's a lot of libertarians out there that would probably disagree with you and say, oh, no, I'm not going to support that uh, that proposition because it doesn't go all the way. But then at the same time, it's like, would you rather have under this new legal standing, you know, 50 percent of people? you know, not in jail compared to whatever the figure was beforehand. I mean, at the end of the day, these propositions, these pieces of legislation, and all these different political advances are going to change, you know, lives, you know, they are going to make things better, they are going to increase freedom, not entirely, but in some way. And then from there, once people can see the effects of more freedom and less government, then they might be more inclined to push further towards the true libertarian perspective, which would be in this case, you know, complete legalization, but you're never going to get there in one swoop or very rarely would you get there in one swoop. So, I mean, you need to support, you know, these advances, both you know, just to help individuals at a core level and to give a stronger reasoning and stronger support for further advancements. But if you don't do anything and you just sit around in this like intellectual circle jerk and talk about who's the purest and who's not the purest, we're never going to advance anything. And that's one of the biggest problems I think the liberty movement has going forward.
1: Sure. And, and I do agree with people that want to stay principled in the sense of that I do think we need to hold our principles high. I think even when we take acts that don't go, quote unquote, all the way that we want them to, we still say This is the ideal. This is what we wish. And here's why I'm going to support this thing because it does move us in this direction. But it can be tricky. I mean, sometimes you might, you know, I think the case I just gave you is somewhat clear cut in a sense. I mean, it's only moving in one good direction, but there might sometimes be legislation where it has a good part about it and it has a bad part about it. Yeah, there's
0: writers, you know, legislative writers, you know, they say, okay, they'll cut taxes here, but they'll raise them here, or they'll cut spending here, but raise it here. That I understand. But I think what's happening is we have this like dichotomy. Uh, you know, we have people on one end. They're these pure libertarians who don't want to, you know, change principles. On the other hand, we have these guys. Who, you know, people might describe them as beltway type libertarians, Cato Institute type of people, even though, you know, the Cato Institute has done a lot of good, but they would be the first kind of people to kind of just abandon the principle and sort of not talk about the end goal and just keep pushing these middle of the road approaches. I think we need somewhere in the middle where we understand that the middle of the road approaches are going to advance things somewhat, but we shouldn't give up the end goal. So there needs to be some sort of moderation and middle ground approach to the issue of advancing liberty, not being a total purist and refusing to accept anything less than that and not to be someone who's quick to sell out all the principles as long as you just get some sort of, you know, something to add to your resume.
1: Gavin, I want to get your thoughts on some of the libertarian candidates who recently ran for president. But first, I need to take a minute out to tell our fans about our great sponsors at Health Excellence Select. You know, I'm a freelancer and I purchased my own health insurance and I was hit by some serious sticker shock after the implementation of Obamacare. My premiums and deductibles were skyrocketing. And as someone who keeps myself pretty healthy, I knew that I was getting a raw deal for a product I simply didn't want. This caused me to seek an alternative and I found an amazing alternative in the form of health sharing, a killer concept where healthy individuals agree to share their medical costs. That's right. It's a voluntary free market system for paying for your health care that also, thanks to an exemption, covers the Obamacare mandate. Our friends at Health Excellence Select have kicked it up a notch by creating a full service package to handle all of your healthcare needs. Trust me, I'm not just a proponent of health sharing. I'm also a client. This has been one of the greatest things I've ever done to leave the Obamacare system in favor of what our friends at Health Excellence Select are doing. To learn more, head over to lionsofliberty.com health. And don't hesitate to give my man, Jeff Cantor, a call at 440-283-684. Four, nine, be sure to mention Lions of Liberty. So what's your take on where, I guess, liberty-minded folks or liberty conservatives, however people want to classify themselves? I mean, now we've got Donald Trump who's clearly not a, uh, he's not liberty-minded. He's certainly not conservative. Hillary, same goes for her, easily. I mean, do you think that, I mean, in full disclosure, this is being recorded before the Libertarian National Convention, so we don't necessarily know who the nominee is going to be. Its most conventional wisdom is that it will be Gary Johnson. Maybe by the time this airs, we'll be surprised. And it'll be you know, John or Austin Peterson. But regardless of who it is, I mean, do you think that liberty-minded people should be focusing on the presidential race at all? I mean, is, do you think it's a worthy effort to put time and energy into that? Libertarian Party or should Liberty People maybe take a step back and maybe focus more on local elections and, uh, you know, issues and stuff like that?
0: I'm an all of the above kind of person. I definitely think a presidential election has the most spotlight. It reaches the most audiences. We saw that with Ron Paul, you know, when he goes on those debate stages, those sound bites that he made against Giuliani or against the other people on the stage, those really took the movement far. It it got people interested. It got people Googling. It got people reading. So I I don't think it's something that we should look away from or shy away from a presidential election. At the same time, though, you know, to build the core, to build something that'll last, you know, more than just one presidential cycle, you need to focus on local elections. You need to focus on congressional elections, which we have been doing and the Liberty Caucus in Congress has been growing. But, you know, this brings me to the Libertarian Party, which I definitely want to touch on a bit. You know, they've done a terrible job at winning any sort of, you know, election, you know, at congressionally in the Senate and the House of Representatives at the local level. Really, it's pretty it's dismal. They have these kind of show uh, presidential runs that really get nowhere and, you know...
1: Though in fairness, the system is very, very rigged against any sort of of third-party
0: activity. Of course, and I hate the two-party system. I wish we had a multi-party system. I wish ballot access laws were improved. I wish the voting system was not first past the post and and allowed mathematically a third party a chance. But at the same time, though, you can't put all these excuses on the system. At At the core of it, the Libertarian Party has serious issues. This is a party where, you know, I've seen more libertarian philosophically solid libertarians in the Republican Party with people like Justin Amash, people like Thomas Massey, Ron Paul, Rand Paul, Then the Libertarian Party has been putting out. Uh, but they're the first people to criticize anyone who's a registered Republican because somehow if you're a registered Republican, you can't be a pure libertarian, which I think is nonsense.
1: That's a really interesting take on it because, I mean, right now, like I said, Gary Johnson – will probably be the nominee by the time this airs. I want to talk
0: about him, too. Yeah, great,
1: because I, I mean, well, that plays on your point, though, because you know people will criticize in the Libertarian Party, will criticize anyone. I mean, that's a big criticism of Austin Peterson. Oh, he went over to Rand Paul for a while, and now he's a Republican. We can't trust him. I mean, maybe there's truth to that. I don't know. That's not even the point, though. The point is, any affiliation with the Republican Party by many people in the Libertarian Party is seen as a stain, as seen as you, know, you, you got to be banned from the party now. At the same time, they've taken in a Republican, Gary Johnson, and are pushing him as the nominee, and I I don't think anybody could make a legitimate argument that Gary Johnson is more libertarian than, say, a Justin Amash, say, a
0: Thomas Massey, say, a Rand Paul. Exactly. There's so many things to be said here, and I'm glad we're touching on it a bit. So you have these people that are these Libertarian Party people that they assume that just because they're in the Libertarian Party and they have that L next to them, that that somehow makes them more philosophically – a libertarian than someone like me, who's a registered Republican, which I reject a hundred percent. I reject that a hundred percent. I don't think the libertarian party has a monopoly over the use of libertarian or who is a libertarian and what is a libertarian, considering they have a terrible track record of who they've put out in terms of presidential candidates and terms of the people that they've ran and in terms, they've run candidates against an Amash, against a Massey, against people who were pretty solid on the Liberty spectrum, and the people they ran were worse off. So that's one thing that has to be said. But as, as for the internals of the current race with Johnson, McCarthy, and Peterson, I think it's just a terrible, I mean, this is probably one of the best elections that you could hope for, for the Libertarian Party. I mean, you have such discontent with the two main candidates. And they have the worst lineup. I mean, Gary Johnson is horrible on the issues. I mean, what did he do as governor? I mean, did he pardon anyone? Did he really end the war on drugs? Did he cut spending? No, he was terrible on the issues. And this is a guy who wants to force people through coercion, through the use of the state to bake a cake for a gay wedding or to bake a cake, you know, Johnson baked the cake. That's the meme that's going around. This guy has serious fundamental flaws in his thinking philosophically with libertarianism i don't think he's good on the issues i don't think he's a good candidate he has no charisma he has a bad track record he can't speak he can't articulate if this guy's on a debate stage which i would love to see the lp get on the debate stage he would get destroyed i mean and this is a guy who's attacked rand paul he's attacked the gop and he's claimed that he's more libertarian than rand paul or ron paul it's a joke it's it's an ego trip so and then he appoints this new uh vp you know what weld i mean that guy's terrible these are people that wanted to um Wanted to seize guns, who wanted to make it harder for law abiding citizens to own guns, who barely did anything in, in their tenure. People who have supported Jeb Bush's, who have supported the establishment candidates, who have supported Obama. This is the guy that he's making uh, the VP. So this is not a libertarian candidate, in my mind. He's so weak on the issues. Would he be better than Hillary or, or Trump? Of course. But if that's our standard, then it's such a low bar. That brings you to people like, you know, Austin Peterson and McAfee. I think McAfee is probably the best representation of like an individualist, a rugged individualist, the libertarian spirit. So I give him credit for that. Which
1: is so funny because he's not a scholastic libertarian in the sense he's not someone who you think has been reading Murray Rothbard until 4 a.m. every night to believe the way he does. But I think that's what appeals to people about McAfee is that he he comes across as genuine. He comes across as someone that simply believes this way because it's how he feels about the world, not because he
0: exactly. had to read 16 you know, economic tomes about it. Exactly. He's one of those natural libertarians that is just built you know into his psychology, who he is as a person, he's just naturally gravitates towards that individualism. That's what people like about him, because you can always read Rothbard. And I'm sure he's open to reading Rothbard. I'm sure he's open to reading Mises and all the great libertarian writers and thinkers. And I'm sure, you know, if he surrounds himself with solid uh, libertarian-minded advisors and individuals that we could get a really great candidate out of him, and that's why I support him. If I had to pick between the three, I definitely support McCaffey. I think he would be able to hold his own on a stage. I think, I think he background in business. You know, he made his money. He has done something in the private sector. He's not just a career politician like a Gary Johnson, and he's not just like an internet troll like an Austin Peterson. So I definitely support McAfee but you know, I don't think he has a chance. And that brings you me to Austin Peterson, who many say is great on the issues, but I would kind of shirk away from that. I mean, one of the main reasons to bring us back to the name of the website, the Liberty Conservative, is that me and many of our writers and contributors are definitely considered pro-life. That's an issue that we strongly believe in. We are definitely pro-life, libertarian-minded people. And then someone like an Austin Peterson comes out and claims he's pro-life, but if you look at his underlining, you know, philosophy, it's very shaky. And this is a guy who's attacked people. You can't be a libertarian Republican. You can't be. There's no way a conservative could be anyway, liberty-oriented. And then at the same time, as soon as Cruz drops out, he's going out on on doing all these videos and saying, oh, conservatives vote for me, libertarian candidates vote for me.
1: I mean, his website's called the Libertarian Republic. It's not that far off from what your website is called. I mean, in a way, exactly. Exactly. Key I mean, words that he's touching on.
0: Exactly. I mean, look, he has a few things going for him. He's definitely, uh, I guess, the most normal person on the stage to an extent. I mean, that's not saying much because the Libertarian <laughs> Party is filled with characters and clowns, and they all have some interesting backstories. From, uh, you know, Austin Peterson visiting sugar daddy websites and. Uh, <laughs> you know, people have issues with him. Like, I know a lot of people who are involved in the circles that he's been involved in, and they have things to say about his character, you know, a bit narcissistic, a bit egotistical. And, you know, the fact that he's worked in a lot of these circles in DC and New York, but no one's coming out and supporting him. No one's come out and really pushed for him. So it goes to show something about his character. So what I'm trying to get to though, is that the whole field is just terrible. It's just a terrible field. It's so sad because this is the because I voted Libertarian Party in the presidential election the past two, three Elections. But it's just so sad that this is probably the best chance we've had at advancing the party. And they just have a terrible field of candidates. They have no solid libertarian. They have no solid person in terms of their personal backstory, their personal track record, their charisma, their ability to communicate ideas. And we're blowing this election. And it's it's just a sad, sorry sight. And I just wish the Libertarian Party would get their act together and stop making excuses and start putting out solid candidates. And there's plenty of people. There's plenty of solid people who can articulate the ideas they're just not getting the time because of a Gary Johnson who's making sure he's the only person who gets nominated every cycle and then a person, you know, like these Austin Petersons who are coming in and just not living up to expectations.
1: Absolutely, Gavin. And by the time people out there hear this interview, they'll know what the result was, but it sounds like uh, most likely you probably won't be thrilled with it either way. Yeah. <laughs> Unless if he pulls an upset. You never, you never really know, because the interesting party doesn't always nominate who people think they're going to, and things can get interesting, and the fact is, they are all independent delegates. No one is bound, so you never know, but uh, we will know by, by the time this gets out. Gavin, it's been a blast talking to you, man. I really uh, do appreciate the work you guys are doing it at the Liberty Conservatives, so I encourage you to keep up the great work. I know you don't need the encouragement, because you got enough on your own. But uh, before I let you go, why don't you just do a final plug of how people can find the Liberty Conservative, whether it's uh, at the website, social media, and feel free to plug away on anything else you guys got going
0: on. Awesome. Thank you, man. It was great coming on asking this stuff find your interview will be out shortly I promise you that uh, to reach us you know it's the Liberty conservative T H E. Liberty that's our website you can go there we're pumping out a lot of great articles and stuff uh, interviews coming out soon uh, on social media we are facebook.com slash Liberty conservatives and on Twitter we are at Liberty conserve, just with a V at the end so we would love to have you follow us uh, read our stuff share it and uh, keep the fight for Liberty Alive on the internet and uh, beyond.
1: Gavin Wax of the Liberty Conservative. Take care, man. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, man. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Gavin Wax. Be sure to go check out the Liberty Conservative. Like we discussed, it's not as, quote, conservative as you might think. They really do have a diverse group of writers and angles that people take on the ideas of liberty over there. So I do encourage you to go check them out. You can, of course, check us out, too at lionsofliberty.com, where you'll see a new episode of this program three days a week, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Friday, of course, being John Odermatt's weekly look at the broken criminal justice system on Felony Friday. And if you're a fan of what we're doing here at Lions of Liberty, I want to ask a few things of you. First, I want to ask you to share this program. Share it with your friends. Share it with your family. Help us advance the ideas of liberty by telling someone about them. And this is one method you can use to do so through this program. You can also help us out by leaving us a five star rating and a great review over on iTunes. Or over on Stitcher Radio or over on Google Play. iTunes is the biggest one though. So I do ask you to head there first, hit the subscribe button, leave us that five star rating, leave us that great review. That'll really help us expand the show and get it in more of those earbuds out there. We'd also like to invite you to join the conversation with us. You can do that in our private Facebook group, the Lions of Liberty Forum. You can find that by typing Lions of Liberty Forum in your search bar on Facebook. We'll also link to it, of course, in the show notes for today's show, which again can be found at lionsofliberty.com slash 217. It's really interesting, like I've said, to go back and hear these conversations that I had before the Libertarian Party convention. I did that with Dave Smith last week, and it's just fascinating to hear our take on things, especially knowing what has gone on and a lot of the criticism and thoughts we've heard from many passionate people in the liberty movement since that time. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation as well. Until this Friday. When John Odermatt will take a look at the broken criminal justice system on Felony Friday, my friends, live long and live free.